The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to the week 10 edition of Falado on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network, part of the great SB Nation sports platform. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the Giants have finally defeated the Philadelphia Eagles which has not been done since 2016. And now the Giants are able to tie up the win column of the NFC East by defeating those Eagles 27-17 at MetLife Stadium. But remember, the Eagles had their bye week already. The Giants are heading into their bye and they have a tie. So they're still in the lead of the division, but still huge game for New York. Giants jumped out early, 14-3 lead, but allowed the Eagles to creep back into this game. And I swear Boston Scott will always find a way to force Giants fans to just rip their damn hair out of their skulls. He's been great against New York, and he had that 56-yard touchdown rush to start the second half in what looked kind of like something similar. Seemed like the Eagles were going to scratch and crawl the way back into this game, much like they did a few weeks ago, especially if the Eagles scored on their ensuing drive. Luckily, to split those drives, Daniel Jones led the Giants right down the field with two big throws to Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate for 27 and 38 yards respectively. That drive was capped off by a Wayne Gallman's second rushing touchdown. That was his second in the game. And Jones just did really well against man coverage. Every time it was one-on-one, he was trusting his arm and he was trusting his receivers to come down with the ball, putting the ball high and outside or inside depending on the coverage. And good on Tate and Shepard to jump up high, point those balls and bring them in. Jones went 21 of 28 for 244 passing yards and added nine carries for 64 yards and a touchdown. Jones had some big-time throws in the game, was able to do enough to earn the win. His legs were a huge part of the game. Remember, just a few short weeks ago, Jones had the huge run where he stumbled and fell on his face looking like a dope. That was against the Eagles, and the Giants put it in their game plan to use those types of runs again, and they Jones was doing just that, keeping it on the zone read and picking up a good chunk of yardage, and it was really effective against this Eagles team. And he seemed much steadier in the pocket in this game. Yet again, he did not turn the football over. The rushing attack dominated the point of attack. And the gap, power, pulling type of runs were success once again. Gallman had his two touchdowns. And the box score really isn't all that impressive from a yards per carry standpoint. Mostly because he was used often in obvious running situations. And on the goal line where he punched it in twice. Bringing that yards per carry down a little bit. But Gallman looks spry, physical, nimble with the ball in his hands. He's definitely a really solid backup running back to have. He could even be probably a starting running back somewhere in this league. And he's been doing really well spelling for Saquon Barkley and Devonta Freeman. He's probably earned this role over Freeman. Then we have Shane Lemieux, who started this game as Will Hernandez gets his body back up to speed. 
But in the run game, man, Lemieux, this run game just kind of clicks. And Hernandez made an appearance after the Zeitler injury, which was a concussion. So you'd think he will return after the bye, and it shouldn't miss any time, hopefully. But we'll see. I don't necessarily think that it's just the addition of Lemieux that has made this run game look so much better in the last three weeks. I think it's a confluence of things. But we can't really eliminate the fact that the common denominator, since the change, has been Lemieux, who has, I guess you could say, been this essential part of this rushing attack. That does not hurt his case. I do think it is Andrew Thomas coming along, Matt Parrott coming along, Nick Gates also really progressing. And I don't necessarily think there's a huge drop-off, or even a drop-off at all, from Lemieux to Hernandez in terms of the run game. Lemieux actually might be better than Hernandez. But when you review the All-22, it's very obvious that Hernandez is a much more experienced and better than Lemieux in pass protection. There's not really a lot of arguing in that. So that argument between Lemieux and Hernandez, I think it's a little bit more difficult than what a lot of fans kind of see it as, where it should just be Lemieux, no questions asked. I don't necessarily see it that way, but you can't take anything away from what Lemieux has been able to do. Seems like he might be a little bit quicker on those pulls than Hernandez has been, which has been huge for this Giants rushing attack. Just in pass protection, again, reserve my judgment until after this All-22 session once we get the tape, typically on Monday. But against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, against Washington, you could see Lemieux was had some plays where Jones had to get rid of the ball really quickly because he was getting beat. He's given up some sacks, some pressures, missed a blitz pickup, which was definitely his responsibility. Those kind of things happen sometimes. I'm not trying to knock the kid. I think he's been great for what he is, a fifth-round rookie. And he's a building piece, building block. And, I mean, I feel like a glutton at this moment, if I'm going to be real, Giants fans, because we have Matt Parrott, Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, Shane Lemieux. All young, potential, long-term starters who are proving themselves. And it's been such a long time since the Giants have had that depth at this unit. And I do happen to like the rotation that is going on. A lot of Giants fans are demanding that Parrott starts. But I honestly like what we've been doing up until this bye. Now, I feel this way because defenses scheming against this young line could prove to be problems for a second-year quarterback who has been shaky. So you mix and match the offensive line. You keep the defense on their toes a little bit. I think that's been a wise decision over the last couple weeks. I like that from Joe Judge and Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo, who was ever calling the shots there. But now, if Parrott is mentally up to speed and the Giants are going into a bye week, I wouldn't have any problem, and I wouldn't be shocked, if Parrott officially earns that start coming out of the bye against the Bengals. I like what I see from this young offensive line. I'm not throwing Hernandez away. I do think he's better than Lemieux as a pass protector, but we have to acknowledge that Lemieux, since he's been inserted into this run game, the line has clicked. Again, I don't think it's just because Lemieux, but it has clicked. And for the first time in what seems like a very long time, Giants have been able to establish a run on the point of attack, control the clock. And there's so much great things that can be said about that. And we've been waiting for this as Giants fans. So let's hope it continues. Let's hope they can do that against teams that run more odd fronts instead of just even fronts, where it's kind of easier to get those double teams and the defensive linemen aren't as good at two-gapping as they are in odd fronts because that's typically what they do more often. Now, that's obviously not a general rule. But anyways, this offensive line did a solid job, once again, against a good opponent in the Eagles. And Garrett, I kind of like some of his plays, man. Some mid-screens looked kind of chiefish, like some Andy Reid-type plays. I, I was a fan of that. 
and I enjoyed the overall game plan because they were running the ball because it was working. So they kept doing it, and they kept picking up third downs and moving the chains. And then Shep and Slayton did a good job winning their matchups in man coverage, Golden Tate as well. Slayton's third down drop was kind of ugly, but in the end, it didn't defeat the Giants, which is excellent. And as for the Giants' defense, it wasn't a great performance, I would say. It's kind of a enigma performance, really, because there were times when the Eagles were just pounding the ball right down their throats. Both Miles Sanders and Boston Scott found success against the Giants' front, which is something you're not used to seeing. The Giants' defensive line and linebackers kind of being dominated at the line of scrimmage for these five, six, seven-yard chunk plays. But we saw that on certain drives. Then there's that one stat that you can't ignore. And you have to applaud the Giants' defense, but it's also because Carson Wentz and this Eagles' offense is erratic. And that's the fact that the Eagles were 0-9 on third down, which is insane. That is crazy. And there were drives where the Giants were excellent. The final drive in the first half comes to mind. I know it was helped out by Travis Fulgham. False start. The Giants shut that drive down, didn't allow them to drive down their throats and score before going into halftime, which is something we've seen all too often. And then James Bradbury, another player. Talk about Travis Fulgham. Everybody's talking about Fulgham. Just gets shut down. And Bradbury wasn't solely on him, but Bradbury in this game played out of his mind. Two beautiful passes defensed. It's proving to be such an excellent acquisition by Dave Gettleman and the staff, as is Blake Martinez. And Leonard Williams continues to be an absolute beast. It's a feel-good win right here. Defense was able to sack Carson Wentz three times. He's doing this without Lorenzo Carter, without O'Shane Zimenez. He's got Trent Harris and Jabal Sheard and Kyler Fackrell as his main edge rushers. Patrick Ram... Talk about an excellent hire by Joe Judge and this staff. And there seems to be some sort of direction for this team. And this team is going to get healthier on defense. Hopefully. They avoid injuries. But Xavier McKinney is working his way back. May get Tay Crowder back. Who's a solid addition to this defense. Because I do believe that Devontae Downs and David Mayo are some of the bigger weak spots on the defense. Isaac Yidem isn't somebody that I'm particularly fond of either but that giant second cornerback position now that Ballantyne is gone if he ends up getting injury item you might have to move Logan Ryan out there Darnay Holmes could be an option you might have to get really really creative Brandon Williams so it's it's something that you have to applaud is what Patrick Graham has been able to do I mean I love what Joe Judge is able to do this team plays so hard for this guy seems like he earned the respect of this team. And he earned his second consecutive win. Something that also hasn't happened since last year when Daniel Jones started his first two games. Beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then beat Washington. But other than that, Giants don't mount these little winning streaks too often. So let's relish in this. Let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy a victory. And go into this bye week and hopefully come out of this bye week prepped and ready to go against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Alrighty, let's move on to the rest of the NFL now that I'm done babbling on for 10 minutes about the New York Giants. Which, this is a New York Giants platform. I hope that you guys would like to hear about the New York Giants. It's my favorite team. It's a team I cover. It's a team I love. That's why I like talking about them. But let's briefly go through every other game. Because that's what this podcast is really about here in Falado on Football. 
So we had the Cleveland Browns hosting the Houston Texans in another gross weather game in Cleveland. Cleveland had a gross weather game against the Las Vegas Raiders two weeks ago, went into the bye, came out, had another gross weather game. But in this particular gross weather game, Nick Chubb was healthy, activated off the IR, and both him and Kareem Hunt received 19 carries, both going north of 100 yards rushing. That's what this game was about. We're going to run the football. Baker Mayfield only threw the ball 20 times. Deshaun Watson threw it 30, completing 20 of them for 163 yards and a touchdown. Houston's rushing attack was injured this week because David Johnson suffered a concussion, was put on IR, and it was Duke Johnson's turn to take the carries. Average 3.9 a carry, 14 carries for 54 yards with a 23-yard long so they couldn't really get much going on the ground. Houston couldn't really get much going at all. That's why they only scored one touchdown, which was a touchdown pass to Farrow Brown. So it wasn't a Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, or Brandon Cooks type of thing, even though Randall Cobb kind of dropped the touchdown, which could have been caught. But this was windy. It was gross. It was 25-mile-per-hour winds. It was misty. So the passing attacks were obviously going to be slowed down. And that's kind of how this game was. And it was a 3 nothing game all the way up to the fourth quarter. No team could really do anything. They were playing basically in between the 20s. No one wanted to kick any field goals. They were going forward on fourth down. One of those types of games. No Odell Beckham. They get Nick Chubb back. And Chubb looked phenomenal. And to piss everybody off at the end of the game, Nick Chubb could have ran it into the end zone to go up 17-7. to But instead, because it was within the two-minute warnings, Houston didn't have any timeouts. He runs 59 yards to the one-yard line and goes out of bounds, and then the Browns kneel it to end the game. And I can assure you that probably made so many fantasy managers mad. I am not a Nick Chubb owner in any fantasy leagues, but if I was, I would be very upset. But in terms of fantasy, games like this, teams like this, the Cleveland Browns who want to rush the football, just goes to show you when they split the work how effective both these running backs can be. You can start both of them week in and week out with Kareem Hunt. And Nick Chubb. And Kareem Hunt also had three catches for 28 yards. He's going to be used there too. They both have a lot of value in fantasy leagues. Hopefully Cleveland next week, the week after, if you're a Baker Mayfield fantasy owner, or if you just want to see Cleveland put points up because they actually have an offense that might be able to do that, hopefully they're not playing in the incredible wind. But they're home again next week against the Eagles, and then they get to go to Jacksonville and to Tennessee. It's their third straight home game next week. Then we have the Washington football team against the Detroit Lions, and the Lions were able to prevail over the Washington football team 30-27, to despite the fact that it really did seem like the refs wanted to give the game to the Washington football team, which would have been a cool story for Alex Smith's sake, definitely. But at the end of this game, there was a drive where Washington went forward on fourth down. Terry McLaurin runs a quick slant. Desmond Trufant's over it, barely contacts McLaurin. They threw the flag, extended the drive, and there was just a lot of little ticky-tacky penalties going against Detroit at the end of that game, which led to a 17-play, 66-yard drive that put Dustin Hopkins in field goal range, and he kicks it through with 16 seconds left on the clock. So you would imagine, oh, it's 27-27. This game is going to be going to overtime. No reason to fret it. But you would be wrong. Stafford finds Cephas after the touchback, Quick timeout. Then Stafford throws deep to Cephas, and the Lions get a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty to put the ball at the 50-yard line where Matt Stafford found Marvin Jones on a quick 
little pass towards the sideline. Didn't get out of bounds. Still out of timeout. Called the timeout. Matt Prater boots a 59-yard field goal to win the football game 30-27. to Devastating loss for the Washington football team. But you know what? The Washington football team is 2-7 and seven right now. But you want to see them win with Alex Smith. It's a great story. Alex Smith coming back from literally almost dying. Throws 55 passes in this game. Completes 38 of them for just under 400 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. A lot of dink and dunks to Terry McLaurin, who has nine targets for seven catches, 95 yards, no touchdowns. Logan Thomas had six targets, four catches, 66 yards. His best buddy, J.D. McKissick, targeted 15 times, seven catches for 43 yards. But Washington just couldn't hang on to this win. You can thank the Lions' offense, especially DeAndre Swift, who had 16 carries for 81 yards. And he had five catches for 68 yards and a touchdown. He was used all over the field. Kenny Galladay is not there. TJ Hawkinson is dealing with a foot injury. So they had to find production somewhere else. They found Marvin Hall, Marvin Jones, who each had touchdowns too. The Marvs, the Marv twins. Marvin Jones was 8 for 96 and 1 on 10 targets. Marvin Hall was 2 for 61 and 1 on 3 targets. Danny Mandola left this game with an injury. Matt Stafford found a way to win. And the Lions are 4 and 5 right now in a tough division. And a lot of people would imagine the Lions are probably going to be picking in the top 10 next year. But they're mounting some wins now. They beat a team that they should have beat at home. They almost lost the game. Didn't. So I guess we give Matt Patricia a little bit of applause there. But before we continue, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Green Bay had a scare against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but were able to pull away with a win 24 to 20. This was another game that was pretty gross from a weather perspective. Not as bad as Cleveland, whose start was actually delayed to like 125 instead of 1 o'clock because of weather. But the Packers, able to get this win. Devontae Adams found the end zone, had 12 targets, caught eight of them for 66 yards and a touchdown, had a touchdown stolen from him from a holding penalty against the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers threw an interception in this game it looked like it could have been a very competitive game maybe jake luton was going to pull off this crazy win but at the end the packers prevail jake luton finishes this game with 169 yards passing a touchdown an interception was sacked three times aaron Rodgers, 325 yards passing two touchdowns that one pick there was a lot of jamal williams in this game who had eight carries for 30 yards also had three catches for 25 yards aaron jones had five catches for 49 yards and 13 carries for 46 yards and instead of dj chark this week it was keelan cole who returned a kickoff for a touchdown and he also had seven targets caught five of them for 47 yards and a touchdown they've definitely been alternating these receivers it's kind of frustrating from a fantasy perspective because you don't exactly know what's going to happen and the punt return, I think I said kick return, I meant punt return before for Keelan Cole was 41 yards. He chukes out J.K. Scott. J.K. Scott had an angle on him. He's the punter, for those of you who do not know. And it looked like he was going to force him out on the sidelines. He just hit him with a quick inside foot step, and J.K. Scott just could not catch back up with him. Which will happen when you're 
six foot six punter who is not an incredible athlete like somebody Keelan Cole's ilk. James Robinson had 23 carries for 109 yards, did not score on the ground in this game. And then there's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, four catches for 149 yards on six targets and a touchdown. Finds the end zone once again. Packers gave a lot of people a scare. I'm sure the Packers were a huge survivor pool pick by a lot of teams. Luckily, in the second quarter, they scored 17 points to go into halftime, up 17-10 to when Jacksonville looked like they were doing pretty well on defense because all things considered, Jacksonville's defense is not that great. And they'll probably be picking, again, in the top five next year's draft. Maybe they played themselves out of that Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, though, by winning in week one against the Colts, which a lot of people forget about because the Jets are still winless. Then we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of resurfacing as an NFL team after that debacle on Sunday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints in another NFC South battle against the Carolina Panthers. They went into Carolina and beat the Panthers 46-23. The game was a little bit competitive at first. Carolina jumped out to a 14-7 lead at the end of the first quarter. Tampa Bay came back in the second and scored 10 points. Carolina didn't really do all that much the rest of the game. And then in the second half, Tom Brady just turned it on. Ronald Jones turned it on, had a 98-yard touchdown run in the second half, finished the day with 23 carries for 192 yards and a touchdown. Tom Brady finished 28 of 39 for 341 yards and three touchdowns in this game. Teddy Bridgewater, 18 of 24 for 136 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and a rushing touchdown as well. And he left the game, I want to say it was the final drive. P.J. Walker came in for just a couple plays with... Uh, an apparent injury. It doesn't seem like it's going to be serious, but you still want to monitor it. Mike Davis filling in for Christian McCaffrey. Very inefficient. Did not really do all that much. Four catches for 12 yards. Seven carries for 32 yards, which isn't terrible, but he's not getting in the end zone, and he keeps getting kind of siphoned by Curtis Samuel and then Rodney Smith and all these other guys who are coming in and stealing carries from him. But as for the Buccaneers, man, woo! Mike Evans, 11 targets, 6 of 77 for one touchdown. Chris Godwin, six targets, caught all six of them for 92 yards. Antonio Brown, eight targets, caught seven of them for 69 yards. Rob Gronkowski and Cambray each had a touchdown, too. And for the Carolina receivers, it's DJ Moore had seven targets, four catches for 96 yards and a touchdown. Don't know why, but he does really well against Tampa Bay because he did really well against them in week two as well. Robbie Anderson, six targets, four catches for 21 yards. Then Curtis Samuel had three catches for eight yards on five targets. Did not keep up the... The pace that he was kind of rolling with over the last couple of weeks when he was just kind of dominating. And Panthers were very inefficient on third down, similar to the Eagles. They were one of nine. The efficiency for the Buccaneers was a lot better. They were 10 of 16 on third down. The Panthers' defense could not stop them. That's why the time of possession for Tampa Bay was 36 minutes to 23.55 for Carolina. The total yards for Tampa Bay was 544 to 187 for Carolina. And the first downs was 30 for Tampa Bay, 13 for Carolina. Carolina just isn't quite the team. The Buccaneers and the Buccaneers go to 7-3 and three after that embarrassing loss that they're going to have to really figure out because they could see the Saints again in the playoffs if they can possibly make it that far. It looks like the Saints may get a first-round bye. It's a little bit too early to tell that because you have teams like the Arizona Cardinals, who can won't stop winning. You have Seattle Seahawks, who lost this week, but they're still Russell Wilson. They're still a very good team. And then, obviously, the Green Bay Packers. And don't forget about those New York Giants. That's a joke. All right. Chargers and the Dolphins. The Dolphins go to 6-3. and three. 
beating the Chargers 29 to 21 as Justin Herbert and the Chargers fall to 2 and 7 and Miami Dolphins just kind of controlled the ball in this game there wasn't that much Chargers offense every time I was checking in on this game Justin Herbert was sitting on the bench looking upset he threw a pretty bad interception in this game but he still finished the game for 187 yards two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown it was Kalen Balaj having 18 carries for 68 yards gross Josh Kelly 7 for 21 didn't even use Tremaine Pope who they used a couple weeks ago who was healthy in this game and as for the passing attack of the Chargers it wasn't all that much Keenan Allen 3 for 39 7 targets the Miami Dolphins defense is very legit they're hashtag very good and they're proving it right now and I know this is the Chargers traveling from the west coast to the east coast is a four o'clock game it was not a one o'clock game but still chargers young inexperienced teams hard to play in miami it seems like miami was just pounding the ball down their throat salvin ahmad who is in for matt Breida, who is in for the ineffective jordan howard who is in for the hurt miles gaskin had 21 carries 85 yards one touchdown this offense just loves to lean on one back and that's what they've been doing and it looks like Breedham may be back next week, but Ahmad played really well in this game, so he might have earned his role here. Tua looked really good out of some really, really impressive throws. 15 to 25 for 169 yards and two tutties in this game. The tutty was to Jaheim Grant and Durham Smythe on a misdirection play action near the goal line. Jaheim Grant, he's kind of like a poor man's Tyreek Hill. He had five targets, four for 43. He's a smaller guy. He's only like 5'7". Tyreek's not that small, but he's incredibly electric and very, very fast. Could be exciting now with Preston Williams out but he just has to get the targets which isn't something that he's always gotten and the Chargers man they just can't get out of their own way they're finding ways to lose football games this one I think they just got beat but they're just a team that just keeps losing by one score games this is technically a one score game 21 to 29 an eight point loss by the Chargers here and then we also moving on since we've covered that game the Bengals and the Steelers which was a blowout. A lot of people, I guess, could suspect that. Yes, Ben Roethlisberger didn't practice at all this week because he possibly had COVID, but he didn't. But he was on the list because he was in contact with someone who may have had COVID. And yes, he has two injured knees. Didn't matter. 333 yards, 46 pass attempts, 27 completions, four touchdowns. Wow. 36-10 to 10 was the final of this game as Pittsburgh goes to 9-0 and and the Cincinnati Bengals fall to 2-6-1. That one tie was to the Eagles. Bengals, why couldn't you just beat the damn Eagles? Anyways, James Conner, 13 carries, only at 36 yards, which is not good. And he had a long of 16 yards, so he was just really inefficient. Or the Bengals' defense is just getting better, even though they traded away Carlos Dunlap, one of the better run defenders. And then... It was Deontay Johnson, 11 targets, 6 for 116 and 1. Chase Claypool, 10 targets, 4 for 56 and 2. Juju Smith-Schuster, 13 targets, 9 for 77 and 1. They were just tearing the Bengals' secondary up. Hopefully, the Bengals' secondary is as giving when they face the New York Giants. Then as for Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, 40 passing attempts. They love to throw the football. Completed 21 of them for 213 yards and a touchdown. On the ground, couldn't really get anything going at all. T. Higgins was the main target of the air. Nine targets, seven for 115. This game was another gross game. It was windy. It was kind of misty. It wasn't really necessarily rainy, but it just was not a good weather game. The Pittsburgh Steelers didn't slow them down whatsoever. I mean, they've been owning the Cincinnati Bengals for quite some time now, and they got started really, really early. And then just as you kept watching the game, it was Chase Claypool making a big play, Eric Ebron making 
a long catch. Deontay Johnson catching a touchdown. It was just a complete assault by Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the much better team, obviously. But the Bengals are growing, and they really have a quarterback here with Joe Burrow. And he didn't put up a lot of stats here, but you could just see that this kid really has it. He came up dinged up in the fourth quarter. think everything is fine. He played it out. So I don't think there's really anything to worry about in terms of that. And then we have the Broncos and the Raiders. And wow, I know there are some popular personalities that came out and said that Daniel Jones was the worst quarterback in the league. And I think it's just cool to kind of go and pile on Jones because Jones was a bit of a reach and everybody likes to kind of poke fun at Dave Gettleman for that. But I find it very hard that people would make that claim when they watch Drew Locke play football. Because Drew Locke is a bad football player. He's terrible. The only time he ever puts up any sort of stats is in garbage time. He's worse than Blake Bortles in terms of garbage time stats. He had 47 passing attempts here, 23 completions, 257 yards, four picks against the Raiders, a team that is just giving fantasy points away to the quarterback position. And then one touchdown. He had a rushing touchdown that was negated by a holding penalty. And then he subsequently threw an interception the next play. He's just not a good quarterback. And the Raiders were all over them. And the Broncos barely had a chance in this game. And the score was relatively close. I mean, going into halftime, it was 10 to 6. Las Vegas puts 10 points on the board. So it's 20 to 6. And then in the fourth quarter, Las Vegas puts up 17 points because Denver's offense couldn't sustain any sort of drives. As Giants fans, we all know what Pat Shermer does. Pat Shermer loves to run the football on second and long, second and tens. And he just does that way too often. And you see it when you're watching Red Zone. You just see Philip Lindsay, Melvin Gordon. And then that puts Drew Locke in 2A, third and long. And he's just not good enough to overcome that. Daniel Jones overcame that quite a bit last year. And I gave him a lot of credit for it. Because I feel like that puts a young quarterback in a, such a crappy position. And Shermer does that a lot. But Locke is not the guy to do that. He targeted K.J. Hamler 10 times in this game, 4 for 50. Jerry Judy 8 times, 4 for 68. Tim Patrick 6 times, 4 for 61. He was ejected for throwing a punch at Jonathan Abram, who just gets into people's heads, lives there. And as for the Raiders, didn't have to do that much to the air. Derek Carr had 154 passing yards. They did everything on the ground. Devonta Booker had 16 carries for 81 yards and 2 touchdowns. Josh Jacobs, 21 carries for 112 yards, 2 touchdowns. Just running the football down the throats of the Denver Broncos who are typically a team that is solid at stopping the run, even though they had injuries up front, they were still relatively solid. But when you just keep having sudden changes and you're back on the field because your offense can't do anything. I mean, Denver had five turnovers. Denver's offense possessed the ball for 23 minutes compared to Las Vegas' 36. You can't do anything in those situations. Long, sustained drives by John Gruden's team. Just took the air out of the life of the Denver Broncos as they fall 37-12 to to the division rival, 6-3, Las Vegas Raiders. And then we had the 49ers and the Saints. Now, the Saints win this game, go to 7-2. They win this game 27-13. Interestingly enough, the 49ers took their opening drive down the field, scored a touchdown, good opening script, to Brendan Ayuk, seven catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. Who And in this game, man, he had 14 targets. You knew he was going to be a huge part of his game plan because last week when he had to go out because of close contact tracing because Kendrick Bourne had COVID. This was the Thursday night football game. 
Kyle Shanahan came out and was like, about, we had 80% of our plays designed to Brendan Ayuk. So he knew he was going to be a main focus here, especially with all the injuries to the running backs. I mean, Jermichael Hasty broke his collarbone in this game. He only had three carries anyways. Jarek McKinnon had 18 carries for 33 yards. Nick Mullins, 247 yards passing, one touchdown, two picks. San Francisco had special teams mistakes where they were fumbling the football. Saints defense was taking advantage of that. Sacked Mullins twice. Drew Brees left this game because Contavious Street sacked him and fell on him a little hard and it hurt his ribs and got a roughing a passer. It's kind of a debatable call. Probably shouldn't have been called. Unfortunate that Brees' ribs are injured on this play, but you got to allow defenders to be defenders. Brees in this game, 8-13, 76 yards and a touchdown. Jameis Winston came in 6-10 of 10 for 63. No touchdowns, but it was Alvin Kamara with 8 carries for 15 yards, 2 touchdowns. Seven catches on eight targets, one touchdown for 83 yards. Didn't have to do much. It was just really all Alvin Kamara. Taysom Hill running the football. Latavius Murray running the football. But in terms of scoring, it was Kamara. And the Saints just kind of let the game wind down as they just beat up on San Francisco. But early on, San Francisco opened the eyes. Being like, oh, the Saints are going to need to step up. But Nick Mullins is going to make some mistakes. And he did. He did. New Orleans put 17 points on the board in the second quarter. And that's how San Francisco falls to 4-6 and six and the Saints go to 7-2. and two. Then we have the Seahawks and the Rams, where the Rams, coming out of the bye week, proved that, hey, we're still in this race. Both of these teams are 6-3 and three now. So the Rams won this game 23-16 to 16 by running the football, by using the short passing game, and by being opportunistic on defense and forcing Russell Wilson into mistakes. That's what Jalen Ramsey forces. That's what Aaron Donald forces. That's what this defense forces. Russell Wilson was 22 of 37 with zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 248 yards passing. Some bad interceptions too. Drive killers, obviously, but in bad times. Wilson's looked a little shaky over the last couple weeks. DK Metcalf had the Jalen Ramsey treatment, caught two for 28 on four targets. Tyler Lockett had nine targets, caught five for 66. Didn't have his blow-up type of game, which he's prone to having every now and again. And as for the Rams, Jared Goff, 27 of 37 for 302 yards, zero passing touchdowns, no interceptions. And it was Josh Reynolds who had 10 targets, caught eight of them for 94 yards in this game. Cooper Cup, seven targets, caught five for 50. Robert Woods, six targets, caught five for 33. All quick game, all short. And as for the rushing attack, Cam Akers had the most carries, 10 carries for 38 yards. Daryl Henderson, seven for 28 and a touchdown. Malcolm Brown, six for 33, two touchdowns. And that's how the Rams end up scoring. Jumped out to an early lead, and they just preserved the lead. And Seattle and the Rams are now tied. And this division is very interesting, which leads us into our last game that we're going to cover on this podcast, the Bills and the Cardinals. Wow. Another 6-3 and three team. Because they defeat the Bills 32-30 to 30 with probably the most insane play of 2020. In this game, let's first we'll go over the game. Josh Allen had a couple bad interceptions. But it's 284 yards through the ball. 49 times, completed 32 of them. Had two touchdowns, two picks. Used his legs on the ground, as he always does. Seven carries for 38 yards. Cole Beasley had a touchdown. Josh Allen had a catch for a touchdown as well on a nice design by Brian Dayball. And then Steph Diggs had a touchdown. And that touchdown came towards the end of the game. Steph Diggs finished the game 10 of 93 and that touchdown on 11 targets. John Brown ended up leaving this game with a little injury. It was awkward. We bent his knee. 
But less than two minutes ago, Josh Allen marches down the field against the Cardinals and throws a touchdown to Steph Diggs. 21 yards to go up and possibly secure the win. And the Cardinals needed a touchdown to win this football game. They're down by four. And the time is just winding down. So Kyler Murray rolls to his left, heaves a ball up to DeAndre Hopkins, who comes down with the ball for a touchdown to win the football game as the clock runs out. There was, I think, one, maybe two seconds left after this play. The game was literally over. Over three defenders, Hopkins jumps over Tredavious White and pulls this ball in. And Hopkins finished 7 for 127 and a touchdown on 12 targets. Insane, ridiculous, absolutely incredible. And the and they play on Thursday Night Football, the Cardinals, against Seattle. So that's going to be a huge game, both teams 6-3. and three. But it was like a storybook. It was so... It was a beautiful throw by Murray. I mean, he just threw it off his back foot, and it was right where it needed to be, high in a good place for Hopkins to jump up and high point it and bring it in, and he did just that over three defenders. And DeAndre Hopkins just continues to thrive and change this team. And just to think he was traded for a second-round pick and an aging running back on a bad contract. It's incredible. (laughs) when you really think of it. Kyler Murray finishes this game 245 yards, passing, one touchdown, one interception, 11 carries, 61 yards, two touchdowns. Kenyon Drake had over, or he had 100 yards. You can't say over 100 yards because he had 100 yards rushing on 16 carries with a 20-yard long as well. This was an insane game. Looked like the Bills had it. Looked like the Bills were about to go to 8-2, cruising in the AFC East. But no. Kyler Murray... DeAndre Hopkins say no. And that's the slate, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Falato on Football. Please rate, subscribe, and review us on Big Blue View Radio, on iTunes, wherever you guys can find us. All right? I'm the host, Nicholas Falato, and please have a lovely day.